But once, if you've done this enough time, you sort of sketch out that front view, but you have an idea, you sort of twirl it around in your head of how that's going to like affect as it goes around the side. And so definitely um, as you're doing the sketch work, there's a lot of questions that pop up that you're never going to answer until like, unless you're like some sort of savant until you get into the CAD work. And once we got into CAD work, that's when we discovered, whoa, this is actually a lot tougher to figure out than we had originally intended. Um, and so it, it required uh, some sort of jostling after that point. It's Package Design Unboxed, a show that tackles design, manufacturing, sustainability, and everything there is to know about package design. On today's show, how William Kang and Adrian Ong joined forces to launch an agency known for crafting beautiful experiences in spirits packaging, augmented reality, and branding. Thanks for joining us. We've got William Kang and Adrian Ng. Yes, it's it's actually it's actually uh, Adrian Ong, as I learned today. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, thanks for joining us. We got Ng and Adrian Ng from is it Ether or Ether? Ether. 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 Okay. Now, now I'm like questioning everything. <laughs> it. I even though I know it's Ether, I still like. You know, pronounce it Aether for some reason. Just because that that visual A, that A is just like yes. so present. So I have to pronounce it. You know, so yeah, we never really like right, 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 right. You just yeah, we yeah. just roll with it. Just like Adrian's last name, apparently. <laughs> right. I just <laughs> right. You guys are co-founders of Ether. Um, how are you guys doing? Good, good. Um, you know, dealing with the quarantine. I am currently in sunny Virginia, outside of, you know, our studios in uh, New York and Soho. Nice. Nice. I'm in my, uh, I'm confined in the Lower East Side at the moment. Yeah, you're not traveling. You're just in the city. <laughs> staying, staying put, not traveling at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's also sunny here. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. And I'm in Scottsdale and it's like 110 degrees. Yeah. Really? But yeah. it's dry heat though, right? It's that's not what they like, say, man. It's still hot. <laughs> it's still 100, hot. 110 in Scottsdale, that's like a normal day though, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's still it's still better than 80 degrees in New York in the summer. Oh yeah, probably. Yeah. You don't have like the trash like that marinates on the sidewalk to accompany no, you. So yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just getting this, the sweaty subway, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the yeah. hot garbage is is a pleasant New York smell. <laughs> I think that's I think that's the name of my next studio is hot garbage. <laughs> so, um, so I was introduced to you guys by. The Source One Vodka, you guys took first place at the Dialine Awards for Clear Spirits, which is awesome. And we'll dig into that. And as I learn more about um, Ether, you guys are a full-scale studio, just multidisciplinary. You've got tech and research and design and, and like just everything. We kind of go into that. Um, just can you explain your studio and, and what you guys do? Yes. So we come from a traditional sort of branding and packaging design background. Uh, that's sort of like the culmination of all our experiences uh, led us into that path. We've worked at some agencies around New York City. And at, at a certain point, my background specifically comes from industrial design. That's what I studied in school. I've always wanted to do product design. And so 
when I started my career, I was in product design, started to go into packaging design. When I started uh, freelancing, I worked at Rajon Pure doing some freelance work and then eventually became a full-time designer over there. And in my time at Rajon Pure, learned this whole new world of design. Product design is very sort of structured and the aesthetic is you're, you're very clean and uh, minimal, at least at that particular time, that was the, the taste. And I just found design in packaging to be a lot more expressive, especially when you're dealing with glass making and things like that. So it, it sort of opened up this other side of creative expression for myself personally. But there was always this side of me that really wanted to get back into doing some product work as well and launching my own or our own brand. And so that's why we uh, really started Aether was to, in a way, uh, help brands like create more of a brand vision for themselves for develop uh, packaging, but also for ourselves and be able to do that. And as we were working on packaging design work, uh, and I don't know if you want us to get into this right now, but other opportunities started to present themselves because of our specific background being in uh, 3D design, we started sort of connecting with uh, Warby Parker in particular to start working on augmented reality. How do you make that jump from industrial design and packaging and then Warby Parker comes in and says, hey, we want looking at some augmented reality? Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, but if, if we really break it down, it's all sort of one string that the the thing that ties everything together is uh, really the world of 3D, right? When you do 3D design, you learn on particular types of softwares and processes and thinking. And some of those things uh, may not, like all of those things don't apply to everything that you touch, but some of those things cross over. So in the in the way of like working on uh, Warby Parker, because they knew that we had 3D capabilities, we understood the software to help them we were originally tapped to help them with their product development uh, stream so they were working all in uh, 2d at the moment and they wanted us to help them visualize their their assets or glasses as part of their their development so instead of like shipping over 2d designs to their manufacturers they would have 3d assets to look at spin around and judge on the the character design prior to actually designing but then in our talks with them they had approached us with questions of how they might be able to sort of increase their their tech capabilities i guess and and augmented reality came up and at the time we weren't doing anything in augmented reality but the 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 pieces of the puzzle didn't seem so far out of reach for us um, so we asked them for two to three weeks to, of development time for us to sort of go back into the lab and sort of think about the project. And we, we, we had to learn new software, had to learn not only, uh, polygonal modeling, which is like completely different from what we use in like the, the product design world slash packaging design, design world. And we also had to learn, uh, the, augmented reality software like SceneKit and things like that. But once we put it together, uh, we developed a VTO experience for Warwick Parker, which then went on to win its own sort of Webby Award. And, and that sort of launches onto this whole 
different trajectory. And right. sort of our effort right now, what we see is that, you know, like th- this whole digital and the way that uh, brands are communicating with people nowadays, it's got to go into the digital world. So social media has become infinitely more important and people are just trying to figure out ways to uh, service that. And we actually see uh, a horizon that like that augmented reality is going to be a, a pretty big part of that, especially with uh, the development of new hardware that is going to bring that sort of uh, augmented reality outside of the phone into, um, you know, glasses. So no longer are you going to be restricted to a device in your hand. But, you know, when you look out into the world, there's a possibility that, you know, your entire world is going to be augmented. So that's what I love is that agencies today don't necessarily have to follow the single path of, of niching down and I'm only a packaging agency. Mm-hmm. Because when you start opening yourself up to all these different experiences, you're not only learning just different businesses and just seeing what else is out there, but you also allow yourself to connect the dots uh, of, of the real world, right? Mm-hmm. So are you finding yourself, do you find there's an opportunity to incorporate some of the tech into packaging, some of this augmented reality back into packaging? Um, and have you been working on anything like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one of the, the things that people could do today, and I, I think like certain brands are doing this, a uh, very simple application is image, track, image tracking on um, in augmented reality. So it's, uh, it's basically using your device. You look at an image, the image will be recognized by the software. And then it pulls the the effect, the actual augmented reality effect that uh, you want to see. So it brings what was previously a static image to life. So you activate, you could activate labels, you could activate different touch points of a brand. So if it's um, out of home, like activations, like posters and things like that, you could activate that with uh, bringing it to life. And, you know, there's there's an infinite number of ways, creative uses for these things. It's also like an exciting new tool that you can build brand assets that connects back to the brand. And that's where we've tried to find the, the avenue to bridge the gap between digital and what's traditionally been like just packaging and branding in general, you know. So we, when you think of branding, we're sort of thinking uh, branding in, in this like 2D world. But I think the world becomes more and more um, digitized, more three-dimensional now. And this is just organically the path that we're going to have to tackle sooner or later. So right. I feel like we just want to kind of go ahead and understanding the medium that we're using, the platform. And then uh, eventually we'll find uh, you know usage for it to, to, to sort of tell that brand story, to reiterate that brand story. Yeah, a lot of these things like so labels and posters and things like that, they they um they're they're like trying to say something, right? The voice is like one way. But there's a you know, the the digital world or augmented reality creates the possibility of more engagement. Um so it's not only one way communication, there's a little bit of back and forth and you know, there's a possibility of you could dive a little bit deeper into like how the consumer or how you're having your audience engage with you. Right. And at this point, we find a lot of use case usage in terms of like how they activate their brand assets is quite rudimentary in, in a sense that like it's, it's very novelty driven uh, and then very tech driven. It's sort of like, like showcasing the capability of like the system. 
rather than focusing on uh, telling the right brand story and have that brand essence being lived consistently. So that's where we think we can come in and help brands sort of like be in the frontier of like, okay, doing it well and also doing it in a, in a way that respects the brand. Right. That's, that's, that's actually a great point is, um, so the thing with packaging or spirits design specifically is that it's, it's, it's unique in a way that you have to immerse yourself really into the brand world and you're really trying to uh, tell a story, right? Um, because the normal person on the street can't really tell the difference uh, between one vodka versus another. And so it's, it's the onus is on like the brands to sort of tell those the, the reason why a particular vodka is better than another or why your vodka is the best or why your story is, uh, is meaningful in this way. And there's a lot of sort of craft in that. And what we see when people develop things for the tech world, that sort of attention to the nuances of how you really uh, tell meaningful stories isn't always there because you have two different sort of minds working on things, right? Like the augmented reality tech people are just trying to create some like one of those filters that tell you what pineapple you are or what fruit you are with those like rotating things. It's like, well, I mean, sure, you could get engagement that way. What is that really saying about your brand, right? And so that's that's kind of what we're trying to figure out is what are new ways that you could use the technology, but in meaningful ways that that makes sense from a brand perspective. So as an example, and I know this is a packaging podcast, but so <laughs> uh, I, I just I just love I just love digging into these conversations. Look at the piece you guys developed for Warby Partner. Mm-hmm. It's an app I put on my phone. I can look at it like a mirror, and I can virtually try on all their glasses. Right now, from a brand perspective, it makes perfect sense because now I've I've got a I've got a Warby Parker store in my pocket. Right, I can try these on, and they're inexpensive enough that if I like them, I can buy them. You know, right away. And instead of having to go online, order five, get the box of five that costs the brand money to ship back and forth, I can try these on, I can pick them out and I can purchase them right away. Right. So it allows me as the consumer to swap out glasses every month, you know, try something on something new for, you know, for special outing. And it, it supports the consumer in what I want is variety and it builds the brand, which is something that I carry with me. And it also delivers profit. Uh, and then talking about that with the packaging, with the vodkas and educating consumers, I think it's really important because like looking at Source One, like the Source One vodka, which you guys took first place um, at the Dialine Awards for Clear Spirits. It's it's an amazing bottle, first off. Thank you. You're right. I have, you know, I have absolutely no idea about the differences between different vodkas. I just buy it based on the bottle. So I would totally buy Source One. <laughs> Same here. Uh, I would shop based on just branding and packaging design that informs yeah. me most, you know, most of the time. So, yeah, I'll do the yeah. same thing. You know, it's like if, if the brand cares this much, but exactly, then I can't imagine how much they care about the product. Exactly. And that's Absolutely. what we try to instill in, you know, the, the work that we do. If, if the passion from the creators are being instilled in, in, in the packaging and shows through the graphics, then we're successful in terms of showing how much we are passionate about this particular product, you know? 
Yeah, but having said that, like, there's an example that is is um, something that we bring up every once in a while. It's Tito's, right? Tito's vodka. Yeah. I mean, the right. the design of that is like is horrendous, right? The actual design <laughs> execution is really bad. Right. But the the thought that design starts with the execution design, I think that's where it's wrong. The design actually started with the isolation of the type of vodka like the category that they wanted to hit, you know? So what Tito's did was they, they attacked the craft market and that's part of design. That's like designing sort of the brand world or the truth behind it. So the design execution may not be the best, right? But the actual design was still good because, you know, it came like, Hey, no one's doing this. Um, we could just market. It. Right. Well, I think it's also the, the, the focus was on like um, how disruptive of a, of a brand it was at that time because it was winning awards left and right consistently and no one knows where this vodka comes from and there's a certain mystique right you know sometimes like a brand may be ahead of itself and then the assets and then the branding kind of comes along the way it's sort of like the uh, how you um First, look at the uh, a plane fly by, and then you hear the sound. And then in this case, it's like the the vodka just tap into this this niche that was uh, underserved. And next thing you know, along the way, the branding and all these other uh, you know DNAs comes along with it afterwards. You know, so now like because Tito existed, there is a certain aesthetic. There's a certain totems and visual cues for other brands to create the same thing you know so i love the example of the airplane you're right right it's like you you start with the product right you see that and then also the branding right right and then a lot of times with the new brands it's yeah with the the brand yeah so that's what we also you know in our studio want to focus on and sometimes to solve a particular problem it's we don't have to be so linear we don't have to go to step one to two Sometimes we bounce around from two to three, four, and five. Mm-hmm. You know, that way, organically, you, you'll see a let the design and let the brand lead to us sometimes, then, then actually like check off the certain checkpoints that we have. You know, it's some, there's a delicate balance between, yes, we have to hit a certain target, but at the same time, allow the creativity to be a little bit more spontaneous. Right. You like, know, and, that, and then that's what ether is about. It's that air that takes its shapes and forms and be dynamic enough to uh, to adapt, you know. Yeah, I don't think I've ever worked on a project where the process was linear. Even when, you know, I feel like everything that you learn in school and uh, every way uh, every way that you present projects, it tends to be like you do this and then this and then this and this. But the reality of it is you're always taking it up to a certain level, second guessing it, realizing, you know what, this is, we, this needs to be rethought. And then you take it back and then you jump maybe two steps forward and then bring it back. It's, it's always hopping around. Um, I think like, you know, the, if you hopped into any designer's mind, it would really be sort of a bunch of different influences and experiences and, uh, you're just like having almost drawing from all those different things and connecting it in in this sort of amorphic way. It's never really like this process sort of 
A, B, C, D sort of thing. Right. That's why we never like sell process. We never sell like, oh, <laughs> this is what, because that's, we don't really have a true process, right? It, it's very, and each project is very different. It takes on its own path. You know, well, we we so. we sort of so when we begin a a project, we lay out sort of the steps that we're going to present to that. That is the process that we have because, you know, ultimately, like you're dealing with a a client, and it's you don't want to get too far down the road and have them sort of look at the stuff like it in the finished state. I, I know some studios do that, and they do an amazing job. For us, we we tend to take it step by step but that's only for the purpose it's not our design process it's for the purpose of sort of having the client involvement i guess that's just- yeah of course yeah i mean you need to, you need to set expectations and i, I right. think i mean i love the the honesty here you know there's process but there's not really process right because you're right any designer let's say that's working we set up our you know we've got these three general phases of you know, discovery development etc but in the discovery you may begin the discovery phase and you just, something strikes you, something inspires you, and you're able to get three steps ahead. It's never, it's never that linear. And depending on what the client, you're able to pull them in or, or, or push them out of the discussion. But it's important to always like set those expectations with them. And I, and I love that because you're right. We all have process, but we sort of don't. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Right. It's yeah. like, they're, they're, they're guidelines. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. More so, a guideline. The process is more to <clears throat> explain to any client in a rational way a, a thing that isn't always uh, rational. So, so going going back to like source, right? <laughs> yes. You know, no, I, don't, I mean, to Alex, I'm looking at the bottles. These bottles are amazing. One of the things that I that I've never had a chance to work on. I've worked on boxes and bags and like all sorts of crazy things. Never glass. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a fear of. This is a whole different medium. You know, how do you even get started in glass? And how do you get to the point where you guys are at now? You guys are doing some amazing glass work. Thank you. So, yeah, glass, there's definitely like certain things that you have to understand from a manufacturing standpoint, as well as like from just overall manufacturing standpoint. Like uh, you have to be conscious of um, how much liquid uh, normally in the U.S. is 750 milliliters. So that dictates sort of like the general size of the the bottle that you're working with. You're also being conscious of cogs, and that determines sort of how much glass in in general like is in is in that sort of total volume. There's certain sort of line issues, like if it's asymmetric, and then it causes certain issues with the filling operation because symmetrical bottles as they travel down the line you want the the fill to be in the exact center so there's all these sort of questions that you throughout the process of designing these bottles over and over you just sort of pick up but the real fun begins when you actually have all those sort of tucked away and they're just almost second nature and then you just approach it from Hey, we, I just want to make something cool, right? The first read a lot of times is, I think whenever you're doing anything, is just like, say, for instance, we were talking about this earlier. When you want to draw a hand, the first thing that you want to do is just make sure it looks like a hand. And so a lot of times, like when you're designing, say, uh, spirits, you just want to make it look like spirits. So you follow all the sort of category cues of spirits uh, design. So if it's whiskey, 
whiskey bottles look like in this particular way with this particular neck and they're normally this height. So you follow all those category cues. And then once you do that for a specific amount of time, you're like, well, I'm a little bored here, right? Now I want to explore some what whiskey isn't today, what it could be tomorrow or something that just completely breaks category cues. But, you know, the struggle there is that that's not always what the client wants. And so there's this sort of delicate balance that you have to play between being uh, just exercising your creative impulses, but knowing that you do have a client um, that you're working for and they have particular sort of ideas themselves. So Sure. You talked about understanding the cogs. Mm-hmm. And so the cost of goods is going to determine how much glass per bottle. Yes. Can you go? Can you explain that a little bit? Like, if you get a dollar, do you, you get a dollar's worth of glass? You can either make it this tall because you can only stretch it this big, and the, the walls get so thick, or you can, you know, three dollars you can get it, make it really thick. Or yeah, yeah. How does, it's, how, does that, uh, how does that play into your decisions? So, so the glass weight overall, like how much mm-hmm. glass is going into this, uh, determines how much the the unit cost of like the bottles are. Right. So. A lot of times with these bottles, uh, as you go, as you tear up a little bit more premium of a luxury, uh, easy sort of cue to signal to anyone that this is an expensive spirit is the amount of glass at the bottom of the, the bottle. So if you pack in a lot of glass at the bottle, then, you know, that signals to us subconsciously or consciously that, hey, this, this has got to be premium liquid. So if you look at say Johnny Walker's bottles, right? Yeah. The uh the the black has a pretty standard sort of amount of glass at the bottom, but when you go to blue, you're not only is the the bottle colored blue, which I think is also difficult to do, but it's you you have a quite a substantial base at the at the bottom. It gives that visual weight and it also gives actual weight. So when you pick it up, it looks like it just feels like it's a very substantial product. And right. that elevates that the premiumness and justify the the cost. Yeah, and that cost is like uh it's it's it impacts like a lot of things on the line as well because not only is the 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 cost of like the per unit for the glass, but is the cost of shipping and all those different right. uh questions yeah. online. Yeah, so so one decision affects a lot, and that is, it also informs you know having a particular structure. Uh, in this case, with a source one, it, it needed a unique uh, label. Not it's not a traditional label, so we have to create a die line that fits in that panel specifically. So, and that also adds another challenge as well. Yeah, source one from a and not to toot our own horn here, but like source one from um. An actual structural development was, um, it was a challenge. And even when we shot over, so we do all the CAD work in house, but then typically what happens is after the CAD is developed, we'll shoot that off to our supplier and the supplier will typically rework that CAD work. And even when they had our CAD work uh, supplied to them, they still found it challenging to recad our CAD work. So, and the reason why it is is because when when a bottle is uh, faceted in that way, there's either a randomness to it. Uh, it just looks like cut glass, um, almost yeah. like a obsidian rock or something. And it's really nice design, but there's a random quality to it. So you could could just chop away uh, edges, or there's a uh, symmetry to it, which is basically a function of you know like if you're in the CAD program, it's like like a polar array or something. 
Whereas this thing had a dynamism in the way that like the facets sort of travel up the, uh, the, the perimeter of the bottle. And so it creates a odd number of sides. It's like, I think it was seven and a half sort of facets as it goes up the sides. And it was, it was definitely a, a challenge just to figure out. And so keep in mind, like we're doing that at the same time, we're trying to make sure that the total internal volume was kept at the right volume with the headspace and XYZ. Yeah. Yeah. So from a design standpoint, the source one, we begin with, do you begin with sketches or do you jump right into CAD? Um, so the source one, uh, is the story for source one actually began with the, um, the gin that we had developed for them, uh, prior for, prior to even working on the vodka. Um, so the, the inspiration from it comes from a greenhouses. So for their gin, what they wanted to do was, uh, and what they ended up doing was building a greenhouse to grow all their botanicals. And so we thought it would be neat to show that story in the bottom design. So we had done a whole series of sort of greenhouse inspired glasses and the source one bottle was one of them, but it, it, it introduced that sort of viral. Once when we were in the process of doing that, we, um, yeah, you begin with, uh, general sketch work. For that one in particular, it's uh, just looking at like the front view. But once if you've done this enough time, you sort of sketch out that front view, but you have an idea. You sort of twirl it around in your head of how that's going to like affect as it goes around the side. And so definitely um, as you're doing the sketch work, there's a lot of questions that pop up that you're never going to answer until like unless you're like some sort of savant until you get into the CAD work. And once we got into CAD work, that's when we discovered, whoa, this is actually a lot tougher to figure out than we had originally intended. Um, and so it, it required uh, some sort of jostling after that point. And then so looking at the at the bottle, it, it has these faceted semi-diamond shapes travel up around the perimeter of the bottle. Mm-hmm. But then when you get past the shoulder, it has a, you know, the neck is, is perfectly round and then the lip is perfectly round. Facets end at the neckline there. From a production standpoint, when you do hand these files over to them, what what's the conversation like? Are, are they coming back saying there's a stock bottle that we can put into a mold and, and press these facets into it, or we're having to create a whole new mold? And what kind of mold is that? How does that work? Every every supplier is going to be different, so I can't answer for every single one. But I think like generally with stock bottles, if you want to do semi custom sort of details. You have to stay pretty close to the original, like what they have in factory. And if you're designing without that in mind, it's going to be very rare that you actually have that ability to use stock molds. So in the majority of cases, when you're designing, you're going to be, it's going to run on an assumption that they're going to cut new molds. Generally with glasswork like this, I think there's two sets of molds that happen. There's sort of like the preform, which is like, you know, you're just generally getting the bottle to the the general shape and then sort of the finishing mold where the uh, last blast of like air gets puffed in and then the entire bottle then takes shape. So you're cutting two sets of molds and then and then it goes on the line. Have you been on the line to see these bottles being made you guys produce? 
not these in particular. We visited factories before. Yeah. This this particular uh, bottle was done by Pavisa in Mexico. They keep on inviting us. We gotta go. I really want to check it out. It's just um, timing issue. Apparently, their library of glasses that they've done is just immersive, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, they they're well known. Um, they know what they're talking about, and also like they help us a lot too in terms of like solving you know some of the technical questions as well. Yeah. So it yeah. it was a lot of back and forth, and then you know there are times where we have to go back to the actual CAD and and do some adjustments based on you know the criteria. So yeah, I think that's the that's the one thing that designers don't get enough credit for is um for I think part of our job is really sort of getting to know these suppliers. I think that's where like you're really uh, once you understand the, the the process much better, then then you know what questions to ask and how you might be able to like push the design uh, even further. And there's there's things that like for Juniper Grove, we we had designed an arch at the bottom of the the bottle. And I just had, when we were designing it, there was an assumption that we couldn't do that. But we decided to throw that in there and then have that dialogue with the, uh, with the supplier afterwards, um, to see if that was even possible. And they didn't even bat an eye. So, you know, I, I mean, even, even when you do this long enough for a long time, there's still things that you keep on learning on every single project. There are times where manufacture itself is also exciting when we do something outside of the mold because that enables them to sort of do their own R&D and become part of their portfolio. And, you know, sort of like giving a reason for them to try something new and figure something out. And then they could have that DNA, that footprint to to offer that you know, that process to you know a different design a different uh, different uh, project you know so yeah it's definitely something that's really important too I think for designers is when you get parameters from your manufacturer is mm-hmm. to you know with the right project is to try to push beyond those bounds because you're right many from the manufacturing side they find it to be exciting as well because you know they're cranking out the same process day in day out they want to see what else right. they can do they want to pressure test their team as well so it, that's right. really when it becomes uh, fun and truly yeah. collaborative the yeah. main determining factor is the timing yeah. right <laughs> sometimes sometimes timing it's just we have to go and and we can't explore more and this is it right so it all comes down to timing and, and also of course budget you know plays a big role yeah, yeah. so going back to, to ether and both of you will and, and adrian um, you know, what are your day-to-day roles? Because I know your studio is uh, it's a tighter-knit studio. You can say we're small. <laughs> <laughs> we're nimble. We're nimble. We're nimble. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. I was good. I was, I was I'm like, I'm saying this in a good light. But, no, but you're right. I mean, the work you guys are cranking out, I would doubt assume that you guys are in a small studio. Uh, so, like, some days you're coming in and one of you is directing something. And the other day you might be, you know, being the production manager. How's that process work within your team, and how big is your team? We have say, uh, right now we have around like four or five, and then we also have like a um, you know freelance some ad hoc uh, teams that we can add on depending yeah. on the size and scope of the projects. For example, if we needed copywriting or web developers, we have that ready to go, but not necessarily like in the studio all the time. Sure. But in terms of our role, I think it was. It's just based, it's kind of organic. They just kind of, at first, kind of the way we developed the work is based on, you know, when I was coming in, I had my own client with me. So it started off with like, okay, I'll concentrate on this project particularly. 
And then Will was concentrating on a certain project that's a little bit more um, structure-focused, structure-heavy. And I tend to, you know, take ownership of a little more graphic-driven projects. But sometimes there's a lot of overlapping. And then once we kind of go to the stages of designing, we, we pass along to one another to bounce ideas. And that's, you know, essentially how we started. I think the way that, like, it always splits down, though, is uh, I come from a structure background. so. Uh, we, I look at the project from a structural perspective, but have definitely views from a sort of branding, overall sort of brand side, and definitely have input on this graphic and vice versa. Adrian comes from a very strong graphic background. Uh, that's been his entire working experience, but I value completely his input on the structure side as well. And so there's, um, there's definitely a, we do divide the work overall in that sense, but we very much work collaboratively on all these projects. That's how the general sort of creative direction happens, but the actual sort of more granular details of like project, um, that's how we sort of manage our overall team. And that's sort of how I think our team views us as well. And how'd you guys come together to, to build either? <laughs> The best way to answer this question was I began working with Bentley um, at the very beginning of Ether. At the formation of Ether, we had just begun the Bentley work. And throughout my search for, I, I knew the, the brand vision that I wanted to, to carry through for Chinberg Grove specifically. Like we were going through the steps of developing the brand. But I needed a stronger sort of graphic design presence. And I couldn't tell you how many graphic designers I've worked with. I, I've worked with some talented graphic designers in the past, but it was, it was, um, pretty surprising to understand that I, I just had assumed that graphic design comes with a very strong knowledge of brands, but that's not necessarily true for all graphic designers. It really takes a very special, specific graphic designers that work in particular spaces to really, I think, come with that wealth of knowledge to attack Spirit's design specifically. And so when we were working on Jimmy Grove, I had tapped Adrian and he had kicked out, I think, in a week, uh, some looks for um two different directions and at that point i was like yes this is the guy this guy absolutely gets it he's absolutely the integral part of this team and so from that point on it was uh we just jammed out like Jimber grove and then we took out uh source one you know on and on down the line yeah no it's, it's important to build a team that everybody has that get it factor where you don't have to explain everything and they you know you can give them a look, and they know what you're talking right. about. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like yeah, sort of finishing your sentences before you, yeah. you, know, you know arrive to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as, as we start wrapping up here, I got to be honest with you. Um, the amount of glass on the bottom of a bottle, as long as I've been doing packaging, that is news to me. Like that is something I didn't know before. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'd look at a bottle, and now I now I know it's like the more glass in it, the more cost there is, the more expensive, the more quality. Uh, right. Yeah, and I just look, and also, yeah, and also how how high the pint comes up also determines the factor as well. Okay. But, yeah. 
I'm not a big, you know, I'm not a big uh, liquor drinker, but now I know. <laughs> so that's cool. But in terms of like, as, as we start wrapping up, like what, you know, what's next for Breather? You know, is it more packaging, uh, more tech, or just kind of going nuts and, and tackling everything? I feel like uh, what's next for Ether is one, it's, it's basically bridging the gap between digital world and the traditional 2D branding, right? But I feel like there's the long-term goal is to, you know, organically grow out the studio. You know, our aspiration is to become, you know, the next, let's say, I wouldn't, I hate to use this as an example, but Stranger and Stranger is sort of like a kind of a model, but in our own way, right? Uh, whether that's like, through uh, tech, whether that's through like just um, the way the particular like style or like brand story that we tell, a lot of it is it's also based on you know the path kind of like organically opens up for us. But eventually, we I think mean will wants to start our own brand because we feel like in this space that we've done it so much. And we have these little dots and connections that perhaps the next stage is to really think of our own products, our own brand story, and our own particular like aspirations to become like our our own brand owners. So become our own client in a sense. No, that's exciting. I can't wait to see what you guys come up with and what that product is and how much glass is on the bottom of that bottle because buy that. It's gonna be so thick. It's gonna be, it's gonna be more yeah. glass than the liquid. Yeah, right. Uh, that's innovation. Uh, there you go. Uh, no, man, that's awesome, guys. I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to kind of walk us through this. Definitely learned a lot. I love the idea of tech and pack and you know, two D and three D coming together, and not in just ways that are enjoyable, but like actually drive profit and drive engagement. If there's anyone out there that wants to get in contact with you guys, what's the best place for them to find you and, and how can they connect? Email. Email would probably be the, the best way for uh, currently for us to get connected. So I don't know. Do we share our email address? I'll have links to your email. I'll have links to Ether's site and I'll have links to your LinkedIn profiles uh, in, the, in the show notes for people to contact you. So William, Adrian, thank you guys so much for being on. Um, I really appreciate the time you've taken. Definitely learned a lot. Um, I'm sure we'll get a lot of questions from uh, listeners, and I'll have the links in the show notes for anybody to reach out to you guys, whether it's uh, interested designers, uh, brands out there looking for somebody to do some amazing work for them. Uh, I appreciate you guys being on Package Design Unboxed. No, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you for reaching out. Absolutely, guys. This was, this was a lot of fun, man. I appreciate uh, having you guys both on. Absolutely. Anytime. That was Adrian Ong and William Kang. Thanks for listening to the show this week. Please do subscribe, rate, and leave a review. I'm Avelio Matos on Package Design Unboxed. Thanks once again to William and Adrian for being on. And thanks to you for listening. Talk soon.